0: Welcome everyone to another episode of Do the Portuguese, which is everything Portuguese, where we talk about everything in our community that makes our community great and keeps our traditions and our celebrations alive. And today our guest is Leandra Rivera, who's not necessarily representing an organization, but has done some interesting work in looking at how the community here or folks from the U.S. are now starting to immigrate to Portugal. So the reverse of what happened you know, 50 to 100 years ago. So welcome, Leandra. Thanks for joining.
1: Thank you, Angela. Um, hello to everyone. I'm happy to be on the podcast today, just chatting through some of the research I've been doing on the Azorian community,
0: and I'm just really excited to chat through it. So let's do it. Excellent. So why don't we start off tell our listeners a little bit about your background. So, I, you know, I read the article that you published in the Portuguese Tribune, which is fascinating about your exposure to Harvard. And then you eventually ended up there. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to where you are now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is a small town right outside of Boston. Um, very large Azorean community here, more so in late sixties, early seventies and eighties. A lot of those communities have moved farther south than Massachusetts. But uh, back in the day, a lot of Azorians in that area. My mother's family is from de Delgada and San Miguel. She was born there. They came over in October of 1970. My dad's family was from Selga, the north side of San Miguel on the island. They went to Canada first and then eventually came to this area as well in 69. So my parents were both from families from the island and then happened to meet in Somerville High School down the street and realized they obviously had a lot in common and they've been married for I think 35 years. Um, So I was born here in the area grew up with my grandparents and Azorean culture all around me. And, you know, always was a part of my life, but not something that I really even thought about. I think when you grow up. Kind of as a kid in like a dual culture home, you just think, oh, isn't this what everybody? Is?
0: Yeah, exactly, right. It's just that's the world you know, right? It's normal, exactly. right? Mm-hmm. And
1: you know, especially being in Boston, you know, there's people from all over the world here, and that was really normal to have, you know, go to a family's friend's house and their families are speaking Italian in the house or other mm-hmm. friends Mandarin, and like, oh, that that's just normal. And for me, I when I went to college, I decided to go in Florida, in Central Florida, really. I kind have of a spot in the middle of nowhere, and absolutely no Portuguese people, really not a lot of <laughs> mixing of cultures. And you know, I was down there for about five years. And that's where this kind of like spark in me began to grow of like, wait, I'm really missing something, something mm. that I've had all of my life, the foods, hearing different languages, just feeling connected. And I started to just grow this fire inside of me that I need I need more. And, you know, I'm the oldest of four daughters. I'm really the one that's, the most interested in learning more in the research that we'll, we'll talk about in a minute, but that just started something in me of like, oh, not everybody has that. That's not mm-hmm. everywhere you go. And I miss it. So coming back to Boston and just being able to reimmerse myself in that has been, has been awesome. And it was kind of a, you mentioned Harvard and kind of an interesting story of how I ended up there now as a student, formerly a staff member, but When my paternal grandparents came here in 69, my grandfather got a job at Harvard as a landscaper. So if if anyone's ever been to Harvard Yard and seen it, it's, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous, especially on a fall day. You have to come visit. But he used to take care of the yard, you know, the bushes, all the types of landscaping. And that was his pride and joy. Like that was he absolutely loved that job, he loved taking care of the students. In the winter, he would sometimes, if it was going to be, you know, snowing and really icy in the morning, he would actually just sleep in his office to make oh, sure wow. that in the morning, you, you know, and you know how you know old Portuguese men can be, they they are committed in they're hard. Yeah. Heart- And that's where we get it from. And I love it. And he was going to be the first one out there putting the salt down, making sure that those kids were safe. And he just had a lot of pride in where he was. And we saw that and he would bring Mm -hmm. us along and kind of, you know, sneak us into like the reunions and commencement, which would be like big carnivals that Harvard would put on. So very, very, it was awesome. He would, you know, get my dad into sports games and, and stuff like that. And I just remember kind of growing up, like, running around campus, having no idea really what I just thought it was like school, like where I went to school, it's normal. Right. (laughs) And having, you know, just really good memories. And he was there for over 30 years, never really learned English, but they loved him. He, you know, made an impact there, which I thought was just beautiful. Now realizing Mm -hmm. how hard that must have been with the language barrier. And absolutely for that
0: long. I mean, his work, clearly spoke for itself that they valued it so much that yeah. the language barrier was worth dealing with. Yeah. Worth That's it all. Amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was, it was great. And, you know, eventually my dad worked with him when he was younger and on the landscaping team. And then my mother actually ended up working at Harvard as well in risk management as an accountant. So kind of this little weird story of my family mm-hmm. having this connection there and always hoping, you know, maybe one day I would work there as well or, you know, would Find my way back, and eventually it it worked out. I took one course; it was a microfinancing course, all about different types of um, loaning services for poor communities. I just took it as a one off in I think late 2018, and was like, this is just. the the way that we're learning, the things we're talking about, they have a program for people that are working full-time. So being in a classroom with other people like myself who are working a full-time job, I think at that time I was working a full-time job, a part-time job, Mm -hmm. you know, just doing what I need to do and feeling that kind of camaraderie with, with the students and realize this is where I need to be, but it's very expensive. So Mm -hmm. I kind of waited and just kept pushing until I got a, got a position at the university, just like the rest of my family and made it happen. And from there, they actually help you pay for the program. So, Oh, wow. Okay. Nice. It's awesome. So I work in fundraising and that's what I was doing at Harvard and what I'm still doing now. And I just decided to do school full-time on top of working full-time and doing a master's in international relations, focusing on immigration and migration patterns, which we can, you know, I could talk about that for hours, so but
0: I can dive in. Wow so you're not busy at all essentially <laughs> <laughs> I, I am curious though because in in your article in the tribune you talked and you mentioned it here that your grandfather would would take you and your was it your siblings and your cousins mm-hmm. to the campus and sneak you in and so i'm i'm curious just from an impression standpoint yeah. right like being on that campus and seeing the buildings and seeing the ceremony of it and how much did that really influence where you wanted to be? And, um, you know, did you want to go there initially, but again, couldn't afford it. So that's why you went to Florida. Or I just feel like if you're, if you're around it, then it kind of mm-hmm. becomes this, oh, that's, that's really cool. I want to be there kind of thing. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I've thought about that that a lot i think for a long time in my childhood especially when you just grow up in the area it's mm-hmm. kind of normal like it's oh it's down the street but not really realizing until i got older how difficult it can sometimes be to be in an environment like that at that level and just so Im- more impressed as i've now navigated certain waters there of what my grandfather was able to do there got and it. stay okay. so long and just you know be himself but be such a great worker and such a Uh hard worker. that cared so much. And I think the pride in what he did, and I see that a lot in other, you know, especially the older Portuguese generation, the pride in the work that you do is just Uh unmatched. And I just knew that's what I want. And whatever Uh I do, even if it doesn't get to be my dream job, I'm going to treat it like my dream job because it's Uh providing for my family. It's, and for them making their, really making their dreams come true to be in this country and to, you know, make something better for themselves and for their kids. So I think that that's what really stuck with me from those moments. And then as I got older and realized like, oh, Harvard's kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm, (laughs) You don't really mm -hmm. get that as a kid and understanding how lucky he was to have that opportunity and to have that. And for me to have that exposure. And I specifically remember going to some of the, um, carnivals they would have, for reunion weekends around commencement, around graduation, and they do their commencement ceremony is great, and I got to work it a, a couple of times as when I was a staff member. But a lot of like pop and circumstance, women mm-hmm. are wearing fascinators, men are wearing mm-hmm. top hats. It's very old school. Wow! But to just think, like you know, my my. Personal college graduation from undergrad was not like that, so it was my, neither mine. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I've always kind of had that in the back of my mind, and you know, definitely excited for that next year to walk in that big that big ceremony, and it'll be a big moment. And you know, we only get two tickets, so my uh, my mom, my dad, and my husband will have to fight over those <laughs> those two tickets. But yeah, I think also when I was deciding where I wanted to go to school, I really didn't even think about or try and go for that as an undergrad. I was the first one going to college in my family. We didn't know what we were doing Mm. (laughs) trying to navigate those waters. And I feel like I never felt like I could be good enough for that. It was just going to college was the goal. That's the goal you're always hearing growing up, you know, get the scholarship, go to college. So I took the, went to the school that had the biggest scholarship. And I think that I never thought there could be, there could be more, Than that for me. And, you know, did my undergrad, actually did a first master's in human services at the school I was working at. So it was also something that was paid for. And I just kind of did it because I was like, oh, education. That's what, you know, it's been drilled into my brain education, get an education. This is why we're here. But it wasn't something that I was passionate about. It wasn't something I really wanted to work in. So coming back to Boston, it was, you know, I'm going to really wait and work for. However, it is to be in the program that I actually really feel like this is what's for me. And with it being Harvard and being able to tell my grandfather that before he passed a few years ago mm-hmm. was a really significant moment because he would, I you know, it was at the end of, end of his life and he wasn't always recognizing everything that was, you know, happening in front of him. But I wore one of my Harvard tank tops and he, he recognized the crimson and mm-hmm. The Veritas shield immediately and just brought a smile to his face and started to tell us about how much he just loved being with the students and caring for them and that's just who he was. You know, caring for other people mm-hmm. is what mm-hmm. has been going. So I really am extremely grateful and now having the chance to study the land that he left to come here and have mm-hmm. and study that for you know my program and to finish it and all of the doors that have been opening through that has just been you know, I can't really put into words what that, what that means to me.
0: Yeah. Well, so first let me just, I mean, so special I mean, that, that interaction with your grandfather at the end of his life, right. Where he immediately recognizes, but I just want to say your ability to recognize the gifts that you've been given and how hard your family worked. And you're just so astute in your observations. It's just, it's really nice to see and hear and, and kudos to you for recognizing that, but then also taking that and and doing something with it as far as your career and we're deciding that you know maybe education wasn't where I really wanted to go. And so I'm gonna turn my passion and and this inspiration that my family has given me into, into this next phase. And so let's talk about that. So talk to us about how you started this this thesis or this research program and also what you've discovered so far. Yeah.
1: So when I finished my undergrad, I, like, I kind of mentioned when I went away to college, I was like, I really want to know more about this part of myself of who I am. You know, I am American. I was born here. I went to school here, but there's this part of me that feels like there's this, this whole other side of who I am. And I just started to, to try to discover that. So I had actually never been to Portugal at that point. Like many of the older generation, it was, you know, we left, we have a new life. This is our life. Like, Mm -hmm. why would we even Mm -hmm. go back really to even to visit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need, I need to go. So mm-hmm. I had actually led a volunteer trip there in, I think 2016 with a group of us, six girls, we went and we volunteered with the church on the island and just got to experience it really on the ground level. Not, not as a tourist, tourist but yeah, like okay. working mm-hmm. with people alongside them, putting on some programs for kids in low-income areas. And I was like, this place is amazing. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you you can't go there and not walk away being like, this is paradise, but yeah. also understanding that there's a reason that waves of immigration have been coming out of there for decades, mm-hmm. you know, not as many access resources going, I mean, especially, you know, late sixties, seventies, poverty, the fear of your young sons having to be sent to war, which is why a lot of my, you know, a lot of other families left as well. And, and America had, you know, had a couple of acts that made it a little bit easier for Azorians to come throughout history. And I, but then being there in 2018 and being this is this is incredible this is amazing and starting to talk to people and realizing there's a lot more expats coming. There's people coming back. There's mm-hmm. Azorians coming back to retire, which is what my um, maternal grandfather did. Once his kids were good here, he's like, I'm going back. And he <laughs> lived there again for over 10 years until he, you know, he had to come back for help. So there's a lot of that happening. We, you know, walking down the street, hearing people speaking German, people speaking Mandarin, Russian, you know, where are they coming from? And that just kind of sparked something in me. And it was for the first time in 2019 that the Azores had achieved a positive net migration. So 2019 was the first time in decades that there was more people coming than leaving in that year. Interesting. Okay. Doesn't mean permanent residency. Those are some certain different numbers that are continuing to grow, Mm -hmm. but that was a big change from what we'd seen for, you know, most of, especially older generations life. So I just thought, what, what are the reasons behind this? And I was getting to the point of having to present an idea for my thesis. And I said, you know, I don't really see that much research happening around it. I see it in smaller pockets, maybe specifically why are Americans coming or why mm-hmm. are Azorean returnees coming, but it's so much bigger than that. And I really just decided to, to dive in doing some of my own research. And in April, I was able to go and conduct interviews with people all over the Island, Americans Canadians, people from former colonies of Portugal, French, Germans, and just speak to them on why the Azores. And the answers were fascinating, like (laughs) fascinating. I spoke to one couple that has lived for 30 years on a sailboat. They've always sailed around the world, working remote, coming towards retirement. They've never gone to a place that they felt like this could be my forever home. They went to San Miguel for two weeks and said, we're never leaving. Oh, wow! These people have lived all over the all world.
0: The world. Yeah.
1: This, is this is it. And actually a big part for them was watching how people on the island treat the elderly.
0: That's a big thing throughout all of Portugal. I will say, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And that answer came up time and time again. Crime rate came up for people leaving the United States. Politics came up more as a push factor. And when I asked them, oh, what do you know about Portuguese politics? Most of them said nothing, nothing. but I know too much it's about- be It's
0: better than here, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, they said, get me out of here. And I think one of the, the greatest things is how many times when we talked to people, they said the island called me. It called Ooh. me here. And I actually, and it was crazy because I went back through my notes and I was like, Four different people said those exact words. They don't know each other. They're from completely different countries, mm-hmm. but they're saying that the island called to them and that they came to visit and this this was it. They just knew it and the friendliness of the people and you know all of that, the connection to the sea, but they just said it it called me. And there's people coming back after four or five generations, people saying, oh, my great, 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 great grandfather moved from the Azores to California. And I came to visit and I said, this is it. Like, it's as if these generations so far back are still speaking to them today mm-hmm. once they go and just experience
0: the magic. It, well, as I was say, it certainly speaks to the magical ness magicalness (laughs) that's a word of of the azores and it actually reminds me of the the myth I don't know if it's a myth but you know some people feel like or believe that the azores is the you know Atlantis the lost city of Atlantis so you know stranger things could be but so very very interesting so are did you find that most people were moving there to retire or was it also folks that were going and planning on working and what kind of work
1: Less than, less than half of who I spoke with was for retirement. I spoke to oh, a okay. lot of young, young couples. I spoke to couples with children as young as two years old with kids on the way. Wow. You know, even, you know, I spoke to a lot of people coming from Boston that were working in biotech or pharma industry here, making, mm-hmm. making a great living. And they just decided I want a simpler life. That was another thing brought up over and over and over mm-hmm. again. And, You know, a lot of these people have the means to be able to move and still keep their jobs, especially after the pandemic, Mm -hmm. um, where remote work is more of an option, but it was moving in their thirties, early Mm forties and saying, we're going to try this and loving it and realizing this is where we want our kids to be raised. We want them to know what it's like to slow down, Mm -hmm. to have a connection to nature to uh, this is especially for the Americans to eat food that is not seventy five percent chemicals, yes, mm-hmm. so it was very interesting to see the the youth, I think, of the movement of people coming, right? Um,
0: Did you have a chance to speak with some of the locals and get their reaction to this influx of folks yeah. moving? Yeah. So
1: speaking to first Azorians that had been returned back to a very different Azores than the one that they left when they were, you know, maybe teens or younger going to Canada or the U.S. and coming back and saying that it's kind of a double-edged sword in that this, all the locals I spoke with kind of said the same thing. It's brings in money in some ways. Mm-hmm. More people in the restaurants, more people needing, you know, shops, needing more hotels, which requires workers. But at the same time, when you look at real estate, we spoke to a couple of real estate agents. It's just, yeah, Yeah, I know the same issues happening in Lisbon like crazy. And that's where it's extremely difficult to kind of, I think the Azorian government has, you know, a hard task on their hands of Mm -hmm. how do we Find the balance, which I think is happening, you know, all over the world. But how to protect the Azores to still be the Azores that everybody loves, and that's definitely a concern. And that was a question I asked every single person as an expat, and said, Mm -hmm. like, when I asked you this question, how how do you feel and how do you react? And a lot of people said we struggle with this. Like, we want to be here, we love it here, but we want to do what we can to preserve the local culture and Mm and community. So it's buying local it's finding out who in our small fregazia is selling the the bread that they're making and not going to the supermarket and trying to find those old traditions. And they said, you know, it's a little hard to break into that for them at first. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you know, if people don't trust them, but then realizing, oh, this is where we can get this locally. And they're trying, you know, not everyone, but I think most are trying their best to keep it protected and see places like Hawaii, that has been completely changed by tourists and expats and trying to not go that route. And that's a big piece of what I hope that my research and my thesis can help do is understand why are people coming? Why do they stay or why do they Mm -hmm. not stay? Because there's a high percentage that only stay for about three years. So kind of informing the push and pull factors to then realize, to then work with the government of what can we do to still keep this the magical, you know, mm-hmm. paradise that it is.
0: So you you mentioned there that there's a data point that says most people will only stay for 3 years? Did I hear that correctly?
1: Yes. And I'm sorry I don't have it. I don't have it in front of me. It's it's a little dated. It's from 2017. Okay. Um, saying that only about 30% stay longer than 3 years. And actually okay. interestingly speaking to a lot of locals, <laughs> they said this is what happens. Expats come here to visit in the summer. It's incredible. It's amazing. Weather is, you know, weather really is great all year round. But they don't see the rainy season. They don't see the down season of the tourists where there's not a lot to do. There's no festivals happening. There's no concerts happening. Mm -hmm, Come mm -hmm. here, and they maybe make it through the first winter, and they're like, okay, that that was all right. A lot more rain than we expected. It was really quiet on the island. They get to their second winter, and it gets a little bit harder. (laughs) Don't don't make it to the third. Third, yeah. speaking, you know, offhand with locals that have said, oh yeah, right down the street, we had this family. They're not here anymore, that family, but they bought real estate and they still own it because they're going to come back and visit. And that oh, okay. takes up houses that could be freed up for, for
0: locals. Got it. It's interesting that, that that's a data point because I was just having this conversation with my husband yesterday about how the same phenomenon of people moving to mainland mm-hmm. Portugal is happening. Mm-hmm. Right. I think there was a, record number of like these are the 14,000 or 17,000 I can't remember the number of folks from the U.S. alone have moved to Portugal in the last year or two right and mm-hmm. I kind of feel like it might take five to ten years but I do feel like the novelty will wear off mm-hmm. right like some people will go and live there for a few years but then they'll say, you know, and let's go live somewhere else for a few years. Right. So I, I feel like, and my husband's not convinced he's like, Nope, I think they're there to stay and they're going to ruin the country, (laughs) you know, but I do feel like, you know, once the realities do hit of, it's not always a festa, right. That, that, that may change things a bit. And, And I feel like, you know for a while italy was was really popular and france is really popular and you know not that those places aren't popular anymore but it certainly comes in waves right
1: yeah exactly and i think you know some of the immigration policies have made it a little easier for people to feel like well i can you know Mm -hmm. i can try it out like if Mm -hmm. you you know for me i was able to get citizenship quite easily through my parents and i got Mm -hmm. that done so you know if i wanted to i could go and wouldn't have to worry about it and some of the people i spoke with that were even you know yeah, great grandparents, grandparents are part of mm-hmm. Jew lineage, and just they are like, so why not? And I think it's more that mentality: why not try it?
0: Try, but it, yeah.
1: But I think a lot, especially the the retirees, are this is it. They found the safety, they found the climate mm-hmm. that they can, you know, deal with, and also as that access point to the rest of Europe, especially for. That's a great
0: us, point too. In North
1: America, that is a huge selling point that was said over and over again, because mm-hmm. I didn't even know this existed. I didn't know this place was here. And I've lived <laughs> in you know, New York my whole life. Mm-hmm. It's what, four hours away. And mm-hmm. then you could be in you know France and another hour or two. So I think that, especially for growing up in the States where it's just big and it's like, Oh, getting to California is how long, but yeah. you could be there and be in, you know, be in the rest of Europe. So that that's another huge selling point, which like you said, could be novelty. Those things mm-hmm. could wear off. And yeah. the pandemic definitely changed the way people think about work, the way they think about work-life balance. And it, I think you're right. A lot of it is let's just try it, which mm-hmm. is again, everything has a, a double-edged sword, good and a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You just got to see how it goes, but so i think research like this and other research that palkus is doing and other other fellows is is important
0: so we are coming up on our time but so tell us about kind of you know when will your project be completed what are you hoping to do with the results and you know the findings or what are you helping people will do with the findings right uh, it certainly adds to the body of research done about our community which is always very important but give us a little bit about of kind of you know what's coming next to, as you finish up your project yeah so i'll
1: be uh, i'll be finished up in the fall and then it will get published here at the school. And I'm hoping to submit it to be published some other places and maybe work on some op-eds. And I think there's there's just so much to be said about what's going on, not only in the Azores, but these kind of migration patterns in other places as well. And I'm hoping that this can just speak to the, I think, really what happens when an expat community finds a place, like you said, and just says, this this is the new spot and we're mm-hmm. going to we're going to we're going to come here and we're going to do this and i think we really need to understand the reasons why they're coming in order to understand the impact of it so my hope is that this is really just a starting point of those that are doing the research on the impact of these communities and like you said five years from now 10 years from now looking at what's happening but we need to kind of go to the beginning and figure out well why is someone making this personal of a decision, this huge mm-hmm. of a decision, especially to come here with children and how will that change and the education system and really for the government to see, is this a fad or not? And is this going to continue to come and how do we prepare for it? And how do we yeah. build resiliency within our communities, within our workforce to in the economy, to really sustain what could be I, I don't see the wave ending soon. I think it's going to continue to grow before maybe it fizzles out a little bit. But mm-hmm. really, just to build the resiliency of the Azorean community and the local community, mm-hmm. and how we can continue to raise their voices louder than the voices of tourists or or you know foreigners that maybe don't understand the culture, and how we can also bridge the gap between the two. I think there's enough space for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just having it happen in the most you know peaceful way possible.
0: And I think the, some of the findings that you have from your project can also be applied to mainland Portugal, to Madeira, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I, it's not just uh, strictly the Azores, but mm-hmm. so I think that'll be really helpful. And, and I will just say, you know, one of you talked about the economy of it, right? I understand the the temptation and the draw that fast food chains bring from a business mm-hmm. standpoint. But let me just go on record as saying that every time I go to Portugal and I see a new KFC or a yeah. McDonald's or a Pizza Hut, I, it just breaks my heart because it's just horrible. This place has some of the best food in the world. We don't need you here. <laughs> we don't. We really don't. Because honestly, not only is the food not great and not great for you, it ruins the landscape right? It ruins, like you've got this beautiful, you know, countryside. And then all of a sudden there's a McDonald's right there. I'm like, what? That just doesn't belong. Anyway. So I, again, I understand from an economic standpoint, it brings Mm -hmm. business and all that, but uh, it's just, there's gotta be a way to not succumb to to Mm -hmm. that, you know, and still bring in business. But so one final question for you, what are your plans? (laughs) Are you going to try it?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I so I I lived in Lisbon last summer for about eight weeks and did not want to come home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think, I think of the the age that I am, Lisbon is, you know, has a little bit more going on than Mm -hmm. the Azores, but I. You know, I got the citizenship. I got my, I got my tax number. You know, who knows what is in the future for me? I think that I would love to kind of maybe have a, a hybrid sort of life. You know, I work remote mm-hmm. sometimes, sometime in Boston, sometimes there. I recognize how extremely blessed and privileged I am to have an opportunity like that to be able to live either in America or in Portugal. And I know mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, especially everything happening in the world, to be able to have that flexibility, I. Feel extremely grateful for that privilege and what, like I said, going back to just what my my grandparents did in the past and bringing our family here, but still keeping that connection to the Azores. So. It's a great question. It's definitely mm-hmm. on the horizon. I think I, I want. to and
0: what does your husband say? Is he on board with that, or is I've, a... uh,
1: I've dragged him to Portugal many times. He definitely, <laughs> he's definitely like, okay. Lisbon, I could do. He's like, I probably couldn't live in São Miguel for an extended period of time. I was like, I get it, I get it. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah, so uh, I'm working on that. We'll we'll be there uh, again this year and and kind of scope it out. So
0: we'll see. Well, like you said, especially being on the East Coast, you're much closer, so the time difference isn't so much, right? So a oh. hybrid lifestyle mm-hmm. is is very doable. So what, but you'll have to keep us posted. One thing I failed to uh, mention ab- about you is that you are also a Palkus Next Gen Fellow. So mm-hmm. very happy to have you as part of that group as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for those of you who don't know what that is, please go to the Palkus website and look up the Next Gen program. It's for our our young students and young professionals to bring them together and form this network to help each other and and Leandra's been a a great part of that well we look forward to seeing the results of your research and you know of course we're all following the progress of how (laughs) things are going over there Mm -hmm. Um, but thank you for sharing your insights thank you for sharing your experience this has been great and if anybody wanted to get in touch with you about your research uh, how could they reach you
1: Yeah, probably the best way is going to be on LinkedIn. So uh, Leandra Leandra Furtado Rivera is the full name, so you can find me on there. Um, But yeah, feel free to reach out. I'd love to talk to anyone. And thank you so much, Angela, for this time. And this was this was great.
0: Thank you so much, and thanks everybody out there for listening to another episode of To the Portuguese on the Palcas Podcast channel. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. You can do so on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and leave us a review. That always helps people uh, find Portuguese-related podcasts. And, of course, share this directly with family and friends. And if you have anybody you think that would make a, a good interview, please send us a suggestion at palcus at org. And with that, we'll see you Thank you so much, Leandra.
1: Yes, thank you. This is great. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Tudo the Portuguese, a podcast production by Palcus, the only national organization representing the interests of the Portuguese American community. To learn more about Palcus, how to become a member, or to suggest a guest for our show, visit www.palcus.org or email us at palcus@palcus.org.